My name is Reese Shaver. For those who don't know me, um, I have had a life of adversity. Started at a very young age. My biological father was killed right in front of me, uh, which led me to several things. First of all, it pushed me towards uh, into, into a law enforcement career. Uh, as a young age, I, I wanted to go in law enforcement career because of things that surrounded that, that situation and everything. But at the age of 18, uh, while in the church service, the pastor stopped preaching and looked across where I was sitting with my friends and youth and stuff and, and told me to stand up. And, and he said that God said, I've called you to preach the word. And at 18, I'm getting, I'm getting ready to enter the, the police academy. And I said, Lord, I don't know what he's talking about because I'm getting ready to be a cop. And so I went into the police academy as soon as I graduated high school and became a deputy sheriff in Palm Beach County, Florida in the 80s, right in the middle of the cocaine wars. And that set my tone and set my life for many things, uh, which ultimately led to heavily drinking and everything else. I was 18 years old, carrying a badge and a gun. Uh, when I was that age, I thought, no, hey, this is great. At the age I'm at now, I look back and I think, God, were they stupid? Um, you know, uh, and so, you know, wisdom and age makes you think back and look at things differently. But, you know, we, we, it's been adversity after adversity. And in 2003, it became one of the largest adversities in my life. And that was simply, it began a battle between me and God who was going to be in control. And it all began on a March afternoon, evening, as I was leaving my police department on my Harley, I began pursuit. I was actually, on, I was actually off duty, getting ready to go to the gym to meet my wife and daughter. Came across a man that I believed was either drunk or high, out of control, and about to kill somebody. And I began pursuit of this subject on my Harley. And when I reached 80 mile an hour on my Harley, something snapped on my Harley. Something seized up, and my Harley started to come around. I didn't know what was going on. And I, and, I, and I got up on my heart and I rode it like we're taught to do. And, and next thing I know, I'm flying in the air and, and I fly and I, and I land and I roll and I roll and I roll. And I finally come to a stop and I'm thinking, my God, what is that? And I reached up to grab, I went to grab my, my mic to call, call it in. And when I, I couldn't move my left arm and I didn't know what was going on. So I reached across to grab my mic, but my mic wasn't there. And so I felt around my body and I found my cord. I pulled my mic in. I called it, I remember calling in, I said, hey, I'm down, I'm hurt, and the officer's down, and I need help. And uh, the last thing I remember coming across my radio was my dispatcher, she said, Reese, help's on the way. And immediately, sirens began to come and surround me and everything else, and, 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 and they got to me quickly. And one of the witnesses said that, that when my bike turned and launched me, that I almost hit the power lines that was at the thing. And, and so I'm in this hospital room, I'm in an x-ray room, and my uniform is shredded because of all the dragging and everything else. And, and I'm, in this, I'm in this x-ray room, and I hear this voice say, I'm going to get your attention. And I said to the tech, I said, what would you say? And I got no answer. I said, what are you saying to me? And nothing happened. And I'm like, what's going on? And then again, I heard the voice that said, I'm going to get your attention. Well, now I'm getting mad. And I said, listen, I don't know who the heck you think you are. I said, but I'll come up off this thing with one arm and I'll whoop you. And, and, this, and this guy opens the door and says, sir, what are you saying? I said, what are you saying to me? 
And he said, sir, there's nobody else in here but you. He said, did you hit your head? And I said, no. I said, what did you say? He said, I didn't say nothing. No one's in here but you. And I didn't understand it at the time. Only to return to work after walking out of the hospital after this accident, I walked out with a, with a broken collarbone. I've got one little mark on this knee, one little mark on this knee, and a mark on, my, on one of my elbows. And my radio had broken on the LED screen. I don't know if anybody's ever used the Motorola radio and stuff like that. Those screens are so sensitive. If it was sitting here on the stage and fell on this carpet, it would bust that screen. It just, it happened all the time. And so I went to my radio, my captain, and I said, when I get back, I want my radio fixed. Because I was really anal about having my, having my equipment, not loaner equipment. And he said, no problem. Well, when I got back to work, uh, store, so I was on light duty because I was in a sling with a broken collarbone. Uh, my radio wasn't there. And so I asked my captain, I said, would you please find my radio? Get my radio, I should have it. He said, I will. And so after about several hours that day, my, my captain calls me, I was in dispatch, my captain calls me on the phone, and I said, what's up? He said, can you pick out of my office? I said, yes, sir. I got up and went to his office, and he said, sit down a minute. I said, okay. And he said, I'm going to ask you a question that I already know the answer to. He said, because I've already looked it up, and I've already listened to it, but I want to hear it from you. And I said, okay. He said, when you had your accident, who called it in? I said, I did. He said, exactly. He said, I just got done listening to it. And... Uh, and he said, what do you remember from it? So I told him exactly what I told you, what I remember the last thing I said. He said, that's what was said. And he said, they're sending you a new radio. They've ordered you a new radio. I said, I don't want a new radio, I want mine. I said, he said, they can't have yours. So I mean, he said, your radio busted into a thousand pieces on impact. I said, not my radio. I said, I used it. He said, I told him the same thing. The guy said, there's no way he could have used this radio to call his call. And the voices that I heard in that ER room quickly came back to my mind. I'm going to get your attention. And I didn't understand what was going on right then. I didn't have a clue what was happening. But over the next six months, it began a battle between who was going to be in control of my life. That, that, that the, the God couldn't sit on the throne and me sit on the throne at the same time. And so God had put a spiritual father in my life the day we moved to North Carolina in 2001 because my wife, the day we arrived, fell through what was supposed to be a finished attic and ended up in the hospital and, and had multiple surgeries and, and suffers a disability today from it and, and everything. But, but in that tragedy, in that horrific thing, and we just arrived and just moved to a town and some dress cabin, God puts a man and woman in our lives that were totally clueless to why they're there because the first people to come to my house when I got there out of the hospital was Dom and Dana Duarte. And I had no idea that God was setting the man in my thing for what, this was 2001, for what was going to happen begin in 2003. And in 2003, when I, when I, was, when I was going through this, I had, a, I had a turkey fire just several weeks later after being a thing uh, at, at, the, at, the, at the police department frying turkeys for one of our big city deals. A turkey explode, fire exploded and blew up my arm. And I went in and, and it had, had to be taken forced to go back to the hospital because I was, I was burned all the way up my arm and I didn't want to go and I was, I was cussing and I was screaming, I was hollering. And, and so they took me, they finally got me to go to a clinic, a walk-in clinic, like, you know, ER, like these like urgent care deals. 
So I went over to that and everything else, and I said, hey, give me something for this. Put something on this. They're like, oh, we don't do that no more. We're just going to wrap your arm. Well, I began cussing and screaming and hollering. I'm, we, we, we're, it's bad. I'm making a scene in that office. It's so bad. Well, I hear the nurse go over to the, my detective, a friend of mine, who was one of the detectives at our police department, and she said, listen, she said, we're going to give him a shot in a minute, and when we do, she says, you've got to get him to the car as fast as possible because it's going to knock him out in about three minutes. And I heard that, and I said, ain't happening. I had too much military training, background, everything else, and being combat and all that. And I said, I, I, I know how to fight the drugs. I know how to fight that. And I began to fight it. And on the 20-minute drive home, I fought it the whole way hitting his dashboard, kick beat down, hollering, cussing, everything else, raising. I get in my house, I'm raising, I'm, I'm going circles in my living room, just cussing and screaming and cussing and screaming and cussing and screaming. And all of a sudden I turn around, I see Dom standing there in my doorway. And I'm like, what are you doing here? And he walks in and sits down on my couch and grabs a magazine and starts reading it. I'm like, what are you doing? And he didn't say a word. I started, I kept pacing. I kept pacing and cussing. Probably went on for, 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 for probably 10 minutes. And I finally stopped and said, Dom, what do you want? He said, sit down. I said, fine. So I sat down. He turned to my wife and said, bring me a Bible. I said, I don't want to hear that. And I stood up and he said, you're going to sit down and you're going to hear me because I'm going to listen to the trash out of your mouth. You're going to listen to what's going to come out of mine. And he sat down the thing and all he started doing was reading the scriptures. And he read them to a point where all that happened was I passed out in my chair. And then the next thing I do, it was the next day and I was waking up because of, all, because of being with the drug that they gave me. Didn't wake up till the next morning. And I didn't know what was going on. And Dom came the next day and he sat me down and he said, let me tell you something. He said, this is not going to end until one, two things happens. You're going to die or you're going to surrender. He said, but that's the only way it's going to end. He said, you and God can't be in, in control of your life at the same time. He said, it's not going to work, son. And he said, this ain't going to end. And you'd have thought then that I'd have said, got this. No, I was too hard-headed. So for the next six months, all kinds of things continued to happen. It was drastic to be around me. Police officers, buddies of mine, partners, they were scared to work with me. As soon as I'd come on shift, all hell would break loose in our town. Every shift, every shift when I wasn't working, as peaceful as can be. When I come to work, everything happened. Shootings, robberies, suicide. It, it was like, good God. I mean, partners were going to my, my sergeant, my chief, saying, I don't want to be a part of him. I'm scared. I might get killed. They were scared because of all the things happening. Well, finally in fall of that year, in a service at the restoration house that my spiritual father ran, on my night, I just had enough. And I said, God, I'm done. I don't, know what, I, don't know what, I don't know what this is all about and everything else, but I can't keep going like this. I'm tired of fighting. I give up. In 2004, at the age of 36, God spoke to me what he spoke to me at the age of 18 and said, I want you to preach my word. And I stood there and I sat there for a minute. I said, well, I know when I said no where the last 18 years had taken me. And I said, I don't want to relive those 18 years. This, this December would be 30 years of my marriage. If I told my wife after being divorced for, for a short time before I met my wife and remarrying, I told her, I said, I won't trust you for 10 years. And stupid me held, that, held to that. Matter of fact, she's got a card still somewhere on her 10th anniversary. And I wrote out, I said, well, I guess I got to trust you now. 
I was determined that no woman was ever going to destroy a relationship with me again. If anybody's going to destroy a relationship, it's going to be me. I, dumb to the umph power, dumb. But this is how my mentality was. And so, then, so, so, so when I surrendered to God, things started changing. My spiritual father start, started already reshaping me, and, and, and God had called me, and, and I was already been doing motorcycle ministry and things. I, I was raised in a church. I'd been saved my whole life. I'd had fire insurance. I didn't know what it might, what was to, to have him as Lord. I didn't know what it was like to have him as master of, of my life. I just, knew him as, I just knew him as my savior to keep me from going to hell. Then God in 2008 moved us to Texas. I came down to Texas in January 2008 and challenged the state exam to do policing here in Texas. And the day I was to arrive, or the day I was supposed to take my test was the funeral for the officer, the motorcade officer that died escorting Hillary Clinton in one of her campaigns and stuff like that. And so they postponed my, my test for one whole week. I didn't have nowhere to go. So I've been, I've been, I had already been traveling and preaching down in the Brownwood area at a, at a church that was down there that a friend of mine had. And he said, well, come down here. Stay, stay here while, while you test. I went down there because we were, we were just going to be in Kaufman up here is where we are going to be. A friend of mine that I'd met through ministries, his police over there, and he was going to get me on Kaufman County Sheriff's Office. And, and that's where we were originally thought we were going to be. And so while I was in early Texas for that week, Waiting to take the exam, things started to unfold. And my very first Sunday I was there, uh, I, I didn't know what to go church-wise. And, and he said, he said, hey, go, go. My buddy said, because his church had shut it down. He said, there's this church I want you to go check out. And it, it, it was Victory Life. And so I went there, Victory Life. I saw Stan, listened to it and everything else. I thought, oh, this is good. And then over that next week, I said, I, I was there. I went Wednesday night. You know, and it, was, it, was, it was really good. I enjoyed it and all. Well, then that Thursday, I'd been doing some ride-along with the police department there early. Well, that Thursday, that early chief came to me and said, hey. I said, yes, sir. He said, when you take that test tomorrow? I said, yeah. He said, you pass it? And I said, yeah. He said, I want you to start shift here Monday morning. I said, do what? He said, I want you to, I want you to start working here Monday morning. Gave me a job offer. So I called my wife, who's still in North Carolina with, my, with our daughter, Reba, and I said, Honey, I got a job offer. I said, I said, I'm not coming home after the test. I guess I'm going to work. I said, so you guys are gonna have to figure out how we're gonna get you all down here and you know. And so, so, so God you know, arranged it that that's that's where we, we ended up. And so then that that next that fall, that very next Sunday went in and the church again and stand preached. Within that night, Pastor Dwayne was coming because he came down to Brownwood on Sunday nights once a month, and that was the night that he came down. So here comes Pastor Dwayne, walks in the house. And he gets up there preaching. I look at that man. I said, I know that guy. I said, we've preached together. We preached at the same place before. And I called my wife and I said, hey, I said, we know this preacher. See, the church we were involved with in Charlotte, North Carolina was Elevation Church. I was with Stephen Furtick. And, uh, and so when they started talking, Victor, I started talking about multiple locations. I said, hey, I, I'm familiar with this. I know this. We've been, we've been campus leaders. We've been doing this. We've been doing the, helping that and everything else, and, and, and all this. And, and, I, and I'm looking, at and my wife says, it is. I said, yeah. I said, remember the guy when we were preaching somewhere? I was preaching somewhere, and I said, we were out in the parking lot. We're talking. I told the guy, I said, well, I said, I'm a cop that God turned into a preacher. And he said, well, I'm a sheriff. And she said, yeah. I said, that's him. She, I said, and she said, what? And she said, that's him. And so, so, so she says, okay. And so 
You know, we thought God was moving us to Texas for one reason. Then he thought he was putting us down there early for one another reason. And we thought, okay, what's going on here? And the reason, but every reason we kept saying, we, we finally figured out that really God showed me one day. He said, listen, I really didn't bring you down here for that or for this. He said, I put you down here to put you into here. The victory of life was the connection he was trying to put me in. This December will be 15 years that, that my wife and I, will, this will be the end of our 15th year this December. And my wife and I will be married 30 years. This literally will be half of our marriage. We've now been part of victory of life. The longest we've ever been anywhere in our 30 years of marriage, where God has put us. And so we started seeing things, and God put us in there, and, and, and things started happening. And I was policing, and I, was, I went from this department to that department to this department and everything. And so I was, I was finally in Santa Ana Police Department working down there. It was 2014, and uh, my chief and I were at a Dairy Queen eating, getting ready to eat lunch. They brought our food out to us. I opened up my sandwich opened up my burger, and I keeled over in severe pain. I didn't know what was going on. So I woke up, I got up, tried to walk it off, and my captain's like, what's wrong? And my chief's like, what's wrong? And I said, I said, I don't know. And I doubled over more, and I doubled. And so finally, I about fell to the ground. He stands up, grabs hold of me. He said, what's going on? I said, chief, I don't know. He said, let's go, I'm getting you to the hospital. She takes me out, gets me in my car, rushes me to the hospital, calls on the radio, tells the hospital, hey, I'm a route, my officer, we don't know what's going on. They get me there, they bring me in, they get me in the ER and stuff like that. And the lady's like, hey, can you, can you give me a, can you give me a, a, a urine sample? I said, yeah, because I got to go. And she said, okay. So I go in there, I go in the bathroom and stuff like that. And I'm standing there, I'm standing there, I'm like, what's happening? Why isn't this jug getting heavier? And I, and I picked the jug up and there's nothing but blood running in there. And I yelled, I said, hey, we got a problem. She came running in, she saw us eight. She sees that blood, they snatched me, they take me, they throw me back on this table and everything else is going on. I didn't know what was going on. And I'd have never been to this hospital if I had a choice outside of the emergency because where we lived there, you and Abilene. We called these other hospitals killer generals, you know, and so you go there to die. But, 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 but God has strategically planned me to be at this hospital and he, this doctor that saw me said, listen, I would never, ever, ever send anybody to any doctor in Brownwood, Texas, except for this condition. He said, because there's a doctor in Brownwood, Texas, that's probably one of the best in the nation in this and far better than what anybody in Abilene has as far as, far as this type of, type of deal. I want you to go find out what's going on. So I said, okay, so he went in, went, met with that doctor, and lo and behold, come to find out, three weeks later, I walked in and he was concerned about it being cancer and we were going in for results. They'd gone in and done three biopsies. And the Wednesday before uh, that I was getting my result, I, I, I was praying at the church, I was praying and, and I was denouncing that the cancer will not be named among me. And I'll never forget the Holy Spirit said, what about if it is? And I said, what do you mean, <laughs> what about if it is? He said, what about if it is named among you? He said, does it change anything? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, does it change what you believe? Does it change? He said, well, well, no. He said, so then why are, you, why, are you, why are you worried about it? Like, okay. So I thought, well, heck, I'm, I'm good. I got this, everything else. Well, guess what? Next day came, we're in prior results. He walked in there. He looked at me, him and I, the doctors, him and I, the same age. He said, this is scaring me to death. He says, I've never dealt with this at anybody your age and my age. 
And he says, but you have a high-grade cancer, stage four cancer in your right kidney. And he says, we got to get it out ASAP. And he said, but you can go, you said, you can go get any other opinions. And I looked at him as a doctor, and I tell you something, I'd have never come to any doctor in Brownwood, Texas, had God not orchestrated this. And I said, so I'm telling you right now, I said, I don't know how. I said, well, we're going to walk through this, and God's going to heal me. That's how I held up inside the room. We got up, we walked out, I got to my truck, and I fell apart like a $3 gun. And I just crushed, and the enemy penetrated me with every negative thought and everything else. And I told Lord Beth, I said, call Stan and Kathy. She called Stan and Kathy and said, we need to meet right now. They said, get to the church. They were at the Larrett lunch. We hauled to a church. I walked in there. I couldn't hear anything else. And Stan and Kathy got in there, and they started speaking the word and started staring, got my face. He said, let me tell you something. You know what God says. This is not a sentence of death. This is a sentence of God's testimony. And he started quoting word and quoting scripture and quoting scripture. And he didn't stop until I had it back in me and I could stand up and fight again. Seeing it through the adversity, two weeks later, went into surgery, had the, had the kidney fully removed, sent to the pathologist on a Wednesday morning. And for Friday morning, my doctor walked in and he said, that miracle you said was going to happen has happened. He said the, the pathologist has spent the past day and a half going through the kidney and says, I cannot find that cancer that we took out of him, there's one small little dot of a low, low, low-grade cancer in the middle of that kidney. He said, but he's perfectly healed. He's fine. He needs nothing else. Yeah. That adversity started changing my life. Seeing, seeing that, that, that first major overcoming of, of, of things, of something so, so drastic. And so it led me to understand that, that things that God was still doing stuff and God was still moving in ways that I couldn't imagine. And God gave me three keys today for overcoming adversity that I want to share with you. I said, number one is you got to know who you belong to. You have to know that you're a child of the most high God, that you're a son of the king, that you wear a ring that symbolizes who you are. And that ring was put onto us by Christ. That that ring says that we're royalty. That ring says that we're not of this world, but we're of a world to come where Christ reigns and we're part of that and we're joint heirs with him. Romans 8, 15, 16 says, you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Indeed, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Listen, if you struggle with who you are, Pastor Dwayne's book, A True Identity, you need to get it. You need to read it because I'm going to tell you something. It is the basis of understanding and how to overcome. If you don't know who you are, then you'll never understand how you can overcome. Number two is knowing what God wants for you. It's been shared already, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. But John 10, 10 is one of my favorites. It says, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, destroy. I have, but I have come, but I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. You got to understand the abundant life that God wants you to have. Listen, abundant is abundant. He wants us lacking nothing. He wants us more than enough. Why? More than enough because the world, we are the world's answers to the problem. It's the job of the church, not the job of the government. It's the job of the church to meet the world's problems. And if we're not equipped, 
And if we don't have it, then we got to turn over to the government. So we as Christians have got to rise up. We as Christians have to understand why we're given what we're given and for whom we're giving it to. And so we got to understand that we got to shake off the poverty mindset. We got to shake off as long as my bills are paid, no, everything's good. No, it's not. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, I'm here to tell you right now, stop. That's not God's best for you. Because if you have to, if you can't meet the needs that you hear and you want these, I have a desire to give away one day. I'm working towards right now to give away 50% of my income. I'm close. But then I've also been challenged to give, start giving away 100% of my income. In other words, equally what I, what I make, I'll give away the same amount. And that's a goal that I've had since Karis, since I was challenged and Karis graduating in 2018. And the third thing, and the third way, uh, the third key to, to, know, to knowing how to overcome adversity is knowing how to wait properly. Number one, guys, we've got to guard our heart. Proverbs 4.20 says, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet and stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. And then we got the second part of that is we got to stay joyful and prayerful and thankful. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. You know, effective prayer, Matthew 7 to 7 through 11 says, Keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find it. Keep on knocking, that door will be open to you. If everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Your parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? We got to understand the gifts and what he's given us, what he wants. Listen, Christ provided everything for us at the cross. It's like a smorgasbord. You know, you know on Wednesdays when we're coming to the table, I picture, I picture the cross and we come to the table like the cross and at the, at the cross of the cross came this whole layout of a thing and it says, what do you need today? What are you needing? I've already got it. What do you need? Here, just come get it. And so when I come to the table, I'm coming to get what I'm lacking. I'm coming to get what, I, what, 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 I, what I'm needing more of because it's already been provided, but I got to go get it. And I understand these things. Revelation 12, 11 says this, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to, to death. Let me tell you something, guys. We can never, ever, ever forget what he's done for us. 
We got to, that's why it's so important to remain thankful. That's why it's so important to understand, you know, my, my business right now, when God spoke to me to, to open up our, our school, our, our Christian school here, here in Sherman, Texas, you know, immediately right after we opened up, we quickly got to about 100 students and then COVID hit in, in month 11, whoever expected us, and we dropped down to 17. And I still sit at that number today, three years later, but I'm not giving up. I look back and I, I know how God gave us the place. Listen, listen, God supernaturally gave us the place that we're in. When we bought our place, I was one of five offers. Three of them were cash offers ready to go. The people chose us to, to work with us. It took me four months to secure, to secure financing. And three times I had to ask them for, for, for extensions and give $5,000 more of cash that for uh, no that if I didn't get it that's there's a keep. I ended up betting I, I, every time I'd say I'll bet five thousand on God. I'll bet five thousand. At, at the end I was betting fifteen thousand dollars on God. I told him I said, listen, it's not my job to understand how this is going to happen. It's just my job to know God's going to do it. And I said, and I tell my staff this all the time: if God has to send a dog with a suitcase full of hundred dollar bills to my front door, then that's how it's going to come. But until then, I'm going to keep on doing whatever he tells me to do until I see what he said to do is through. And that's how, and that's how we, we walk it. You know, the other, side, the other side is this, as I close out. One, day, one of the things I told you, what I had to do was stand. You know, like I said, you, when, you, when, when you sometimes hit this adversity and you hit the things, you can't see, you can't think straight, you can't hear because of all the outside noise that's drowning you. And so when you surround yourself with others who's been there and been through the fight, they know how to fight and they got scars. I tell people all the time, I'll walk in victory. I might walk with a limp, but I'm going to walk in victory. I said, but I'm going to surround myself with people that know how to fight, know how to fight in the spirit, know how to defend me. Stand new. One thing I need to hear, I need to hear the word because why? The enemy drowns out the word right in the middle of adversity. That's the first thing the enemy does. He tries to drown out the word in your mind. And standing, Kathy knew, standing there, all they had to do was continue to speak that word, speak that word, speak that word, speak that word. I don't know how long we were in there, they're just speaking the word until finally I could speak the word again and I could fight again and I could stand up again. And I can say this, adversity will not win.